Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 31, entitled Fantastic Voyage, in which I'll be examining issue number 27. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. So, as is custom. Let's quickly just review our creative team. And it has stayed pretty consistent throughout the Sienkiewicz Claremont era, uh, which runs about a year. So again, like I said, it's Claremont and writing. We've got Sienkiewicz on art. He's doing his own pencils, his own um, his own inking when needed. Uh, we've got Orzachewski and Glynis Wynn. Orzachewski's doing the lettering and we've got Glynis Wynn, obviously, in colors. Uh, and she does great work with Sienkiewicz. If you think about... His, his, his art is wonderful in black and white. I mean, his, like I've posted some of his, his, uh, his pre-colored pa- pages um, on, that I found on Google uh, Image Search in, in uh, as mentioned, um, features on Instagram and Facebook. And, and it's fantastic. Uncolored, it's beautiful, uh, but this is a color comic, and the colorist is super important, right? And and Win compliments him extremely well. Glynis Win compliments him so well. Her her color choices, the palette she uses, uh, it, it enhances the artwork, and so she's doing a wonderful job working alongside of uh, Zinkevich. Now, uh, Anna Senti, she's the X Men line editor. She is working closely with Claremont. Uh, at this point um, on New Mutants. And then we have Jim Shooter, who is editor-in-chief. So that's kind of where we're at with the creative team. It hasn't fluctuated that much, and so we are getting some really solid stories, I would argue, because of that. Um, So, yeah, let's dive right into The Abyss, the New Mutants issue number 27. So this very first page is a splash, and it's it's fairly simplistic. It's fairly simple. We've got the title of the issue, Into the Abyss, and Into and The are in blue lettering, and they're block lettering. Then we have Abyss in block lettering, but that's in black lettering. In the bottoms of each of the letters, the A, B, Y, S, S, all drop, like in black columns. And Xavier, who is, who is knelt down, and he's holding Moira, who's laying unconscious on the floor in his arms. Uh, they're, they're laid across these lettering. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous page. I really, really enjoy this. Sim- very simplistic page. Uh, s- lots of detail in Xavier and Moira's clothing. And uh, through the... Through the even... <laughs> This is going to sound weird, but we've got, there's just two, two words uh, in a dialogue box from Xavier. He's screaming Moira's name, Moira, Moira, right? And the dialogue box is shaped and the letters are shaped to, to really convey that urgency and sense of uh, anguish and fear. Uh, I think it's well done. Really beautiful page. And, and we get some narration here about their past and why you know who this woman is to Xavier and and just momentarily let's talk a little bit about Marvel at this time and uh you know why some of this some of this narration exists now Claremont's a wordy guy he's gonna have lots to say uh his characters speak a lot you know dialogue's there's a lot of dialogue. We've got lots of narration. And sometimes, especially at the beginning of the issues, there's a mandate to a certain degree. Marvel's got, at this time, had this thing where every issue could be the first issue a person picked up. And so in that first issue, in those very first couple pages, the reader better know who all the characters in your comic are. You better know who they are and a little bit about them so that they can follow the story without having read the last issue. So that also meant that not only did we need to know the characters, we need a little bit of a recap, right? So here we've got a very anguished scene, a very dramatic scene, a very, uh, 
you know, troubling scene. We've got a character that's, you know, scared and fearful for the, somebody that he cares about. Why does he care about her? Well, so ex- he tells us why. Because they used to be lovers. That their past is colored. They they went from lovers to to colleagues to friends to like close friends, and that's where their relationship is. So they've been through a lot. They've got history, and there's a reason he cares so much. Um, and we're going to find out like through these this narration, these opening pages, who these characters are. So that means that there's a lot of task, text. Uh, and so if you're not a fan of, of narration, uh, er, er, earlier Marvel is maybe not the place to, to, to spend your time um, reading. Marvel has since shifted to more of a opening page, like a, an informative page where you've got blurb, like here's a picture of a character, his na- the character's name, and their power sets and stuff. So you can dive right into the issue without this necessity to have narration the first two or three pages telling you about the the past story and they also give you a recap in those pages now currently in 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 marvel issues Uh, the recap occurs in the issue so you're getting character backstory character information to to fill you in to bring you up to speed and on top of well in the last issue this happened and it's it's good good writers can handle that more elegantly than just a simple recap through narration. Um, they'll fill you in as the stuff unfolds, right? So, like, in this page, we've got Moira unconscious, and she's non-responsive. They're checking for her heartbeat. Rain's laying next to her. She's still in her woofing form, her transitional wolf form. So she's that wolf-human hybrid form that she had transformed into in the last issue. And she's, she's unconscious. She's not responding, so Danny's checking on her. Danny Moonstar is holding her in, 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 in her arms, <clears throat> and she, she's finally able to find a pulse. <clears throat> and she points out that this is unusual. She's, she's alive. She's unconscious. She's not responsive, but, but she hasn't reverted to her human form. In the past, Rain Sinclair, when she is knocked unconscious in her wolf form or transitional form, she's always reverted to her human form. So this is weird. Something's different here. Now, Warlock's here, Doug Ramsey, and so is Gabrielle Huller, and we're getting a rundown of all these characters, just a little blurb, so we know who these characters are. And Xavier, he's, he's surprised. He's noticing the condition of the lab, and here's where we get some story from explaining what happened, why, what's going on. Right? He's looking around the lab. He's seeing that there was what looks to be a firebomb has gone off, but it seems to have emanated from around Moira and Rain. Now, this is similar to what happened to Sharon Freelander and Tom Corsi, who we don't even see them on panel here. But what Xavier do, he's, he's thinking to himself, he's working through this problem, through his, his uh, thought bubble, right? We're reading this, and we're getting some filler. We're getting some understanding of what happened last issue. So Xavier, he's telling us through his thoughts that in the last issue, Sharon and Tom Corsi had a similar incident they're both catatonic. They're both not responsive. They both don't appear to be, their psyches don't appear to be in their body, similar to Rain and, and, and Moira. And that is why Xavier was brought to Mayor Island, because this happened. And they need help with this character who we see at the bottom of the panel laying in bed, asleep, sound asleep. His name is David Holler. We're going to become, he's going to become known to us as Legion. And we also have a little bit of understanding of what's going on that maybe characters don't have. So Xavier, he he he's been kicked out of Xavier, out of David Holler's mind. David Holler's a very powerful telepath. Xavier's beginning to realize that because prior to this, Xavier has been thought of by many to be the most powerful telepath on on the planet Earth. So <clears throat> he he. They, you know, they take care of Moira and Rain. They, they get them in, you know, on, on, uh, you know, they take care of them. They put them on medical cots and, and whatnot. And, you know, Xavier's trying to work through this problem, really trying to figure out what's going on. So they know that both these two, Rain and Moira, are catatonic. Uh, they're they're essentially blank slates, tabula rasa, rasa, which is a blank slate. I guess it's. Uh, 
like their consciousness has been removed from their body. Like they just don't, they're not in there. So where did their consciousness go? And, and he knows, Xavier knows what he's thinking. We, we read his thoughts here, like I said, uh, and we're seeing in his thought bubbles that it would take an extremely powerful telepath to do something like this. And we also know from evidence that has been that Xavier and, and you know, Moira, if she were unconscious at this point, know that David Huller is not only a telepath, he's a telekinetic, and he's pyrotic. So he, he has the ability to control, to manifest fire and to move objects with his mind, and he can uh, enter people's thoughts uh, through telepathy. We also know he is suffering from a, what is described as a schizophrenic withdrawal. He is shut down. Something happened to him, and he's just completely closed down. He also suffers from multiple personality disorder. And apparently each one of the personalities within David manifests a different power. At least there's three that they know do. So what are they going to do? They're kind of at a loss. Something has to be done. And Danny's got an idea. Danny points out that with Rain in her transitional wolf form, she has a psychic rapport with Rain. When Rain's a wolf or in her transitional form, they have a psi-link. And since Rain is in that form still, that psi-link should still work. And, and Danny suggests that even if Rain is on the astral plane, they can probably still link. And so her point is that she wants to try that. She thinks we should. That things, they, they don't have any real options at hand. And Xavier thinks it's going to be too dangerous. He tells her, no, I think that's a really bad idea. That's too dangerous. But Danny suggests, you know, we've done this before. We did this uh, when Rain and Roberto were suffering from, uh, were caught in the... Uh, were, were uh, Cloak and Dagger, in the Cloak and Dagger story arc. They'd done something similar to this. And Xavier will be there to support her. He'll backstop her. So, you know, if anything goes wrong, he'll be there. It's the best option, Rain believes, or Danny believes, that it, that's available to them right now. And there's not much else that she can think to do because they don't know where anyone is. They don't know where their consciousnesses are. They've just been wiped. They're gone. So if they're going to find him, they need to be able to track one of them down. That's Danny's point. Um, before Xavier answers, he does ask Gabrielle Haller, who's David's mother, ambassador, remember, to Israel, and ex-lover of Charles Xavier, uh, for those readers who are aware, also the, Xavier is also the father of David. Xavier hasn't quite figured that out yet. He does know, though, that Gabrielle Haller's not telling him everything. She's keeping something from him. He doesn't know what it is. And he's unwilling to use his psychic ability to force the answer from her. Um, <clears throat> and she's denying it. She's told him everything that there is to tell. So he doesn't know what to do here. He knows that he could get the information from her if he just forced it from her. But he's unwilling to do that. He's already done that once. He was forced. He chose... He... Gabrielle Huller, let's just go back to the start. She was a patient, remember, of his. And he had used his mental abilities to force her out of a catatonic state. And in doing so, he's, it was, he believed at the time it was an effort to help her. But they got involved in a, a relationship, and, and obviously that was a sexual relationship because there's a son. But <clears throat> he... He doesn't know whether he helped her or not. Like, he did help her. She's, she's functioning in the world, but he, he doesn't know that that relationship was organic. And he believed at the time it was the noblest of reasons he was doing this, right? To help her. But he, he's not sure because he knows he's left scars that have never truly healed for her. And it was the, this cure, this forced cure that he did, you know, this forced, like, opening her up that has caused 
you know, so much pain for her. You know, this cure of his, you know, where he, where he broke down her, her psychic barriers and freed her and broke her out of this catastonic, you know, catastonic, catatonic withdrawal that she was suffering, like really caused more damage because she had to relive all the horrors of her past. And, you know, he's not sure what he did while he was in there. Like, did he manipulate something that caused this, uh, you know, a relationship to occur, this, this romantic relationship to occur, you know? And so there's some questions on like consent issues here. And Xavier, for his part, is really like doing his best to like respect her and not, you know, he's not willing to like force himself, you know, force force his way into her mind to get the answers he's looking for. You know, and he's also something else that we've talked about last issue, last episode, was that he had been beaten severely in Uncanny X-Men, like near to death. And he was brought back. The, the mutant healer of the Morlocks resurrected him, essentially, brought him back from the dead. Something's off, though. He is not at full strength. He is really weak. He is not doing well. And he was warned by Callisto, the leader of the, the Morlocks, that you exert yourself too much here, buddy. You're, you, you know, you could end up dead. Like, that's not good. You need to lay off your, you know, use of your mutant abilities right now. So he's putting himself through lots of strain, you know, and it's been taking its toll on him. He's, he's exhausted. Um, but he also realizes this situation, especially now, is, like, dire. Like, he is forced into action, whether he wants to do it or not, because there's four lives like hanging in the balance. Plus, well, five if you count David Holler. So, <clears throat> he doesn't have a lot of options available to him, you know? And Danny and, and Xavier are going to proceed. Now... There's, I like this scene. They're standing, Danny and, and, and Xavier enter David's room, and they're standing at the foot of the bed, and they're both looking at David. And Danny points out to him that Xavier looks a lot like David Holler. And Xavier says, I see no resemblance. And, it, uh, you know, and Danny responds, seems pretty ominous, obvious to me. Xavier just pushes this away. He's like, whatever, let's just get to work, right? And she apologizes for having brought it up. And this is all overheard by Gabriel Huller, who is thinking to herself, you know, she's, she's, you know, apologizing. She's thinking this, right? I'll just read the the thought bubble here. Forgive me, Charles. When you saved me, you learned every thought and memory. Every hidden scar, sacred thing I possessed. This was the one secret I swore to keep my own. And, like, of all the secrets to keep, the one that, like, at this point, you know, like, anything's going to help. You've got four people, just just, just their psyches are gone. Their, Their consciousness have been wiped. David Huller's obviously not getting better. Her son, who she's so desperate to help, isn't getting better. He appears, you know, it seems to me from what we've seen, which is not a lot, it seems as though it's getting worse. Things are getting worse. And she's just ardent on keeping this secret. Now, you could argue that, like, the trauma of the cure, this thing that Xavier touched on, you know, on the last page about how that cure that, you know, his forced, you know, his forcing his mind, you know, forcing her mind open, forcing her to confront life was so traumatic and so painful, like that she's, you know, (laughs) she's, when confronted with a situation like this from the man that, like, forced his way into her mind, like, she's not functioning at a level that is... In terms of Xavier and his help are reasonable. 
right? Because she's divulged this information to everyone else, right? She's divulged it to Moira. She's divulged it, I'm sure, to others. So it's not like it's a secret she's trying to keep from the world. It's not like it's something she's trying to deny. It's just something she doesn't want him to know. So in terms of Xavier, there's almost as though there's something like, I mean, you could argue that maybe she's suffering from post post-traumatic stress, right? P P <clears throat> PST. PSTD, right? Post post-traumatic stress disorder. Sorry, PTSD, sorry. Post-traumatic stress stress, stress disorder. <laughs> sorry about that. But you know what I mean? Like she's struggling to face reality and she's not able to do it when it comes to Xavier. He his appearance, his interaction with her seems absolutely normal, but there's something off about it, and the way she relates to him is off. So I, I, I think that's, it seems odd that she's unwilling, she's so desperate to help her son, but she doesn't want to work with the person that can save her son. She's unwilling to like truly work with him. But I think there's trauma and damage, and she, she, She's already kind of said, you know, there's this little bit of doubt. Their relationship didn't work out because she always worried that maybe he did something when he was, ramp, you know, working, helping her when she was in her mind. That maybe she, he, he manipulated her into loving him. And that doubt was enough to, like, pollute their relationship and, and force her away from Xavier. That's what she told us in the last issue. That's what she told Xavier. So if that's the case, I would argue that this is pretty natural, normal reaction from her it's not like her character's acting out of out of you know odd her her character's acting pretty natural i think this is pretty normal uh, i would argue if people could use telepathy to enter people's minds and <laughs> help them when they're shut down and completely catatonic anyways let's get back to the story at hand so that's what danny does she she uses her her ability to link with Rain to go to the astral plane at, with Xavier and and to to try to locate Rain and and they do that and so both of them you know this is this is where I mean this is just this comic is well suited to to uh, Zinkevich's abilities and he 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 has both of their. Uh, forms appear on the astral plane. So Danny and Xavier, and they're idealized because Danny comments about how how good Xavier looks. His his body looks so virile and strong, and you know he just looks really really good. And so did, she's shocked by her appearance as well. I mean, and these are how they see themselves. These are their their astral projection. Their, their, the way they project themselves on the astral plane has to do with how they view themselves. So. Rain sees her, or Danny sees herself as this long-haired vixen woman. Um, anyways, so that that's what's going on. We we see how their forms change, how they look different, uh, differently in the astral plane, and they're being approached by a wolf, and that wolf, you know, Danny believes it's Rain. And that wolf leaps at her as she, you know, she's not really defending herself. She's not prepared for an attack. And it leaps at her. And Xavier, you know, had, you know, it's telling her it's a trap that don't believe what she sees. And he, and he pulls the wolf off of, you know, he attempts to pull the wolf off of Danny. Um, and the wolf begins to ignite into flames um, as he's, as he's pulling, uh, Pulling, uh, pulling the wolf from Danny, right, and and he points out that Wolfbane should have been frozen in her transitional form, and she was in this this thing was in its full wolf form. Remember, if we saw in the panel that she was in a transitional hybrid state, and this this wolf was not in that state, and that should have been a clue to her. And he he also thinks to himself that his strength, his psychic strength, is a shadow of its former self. It's. Uh, and and he's fighting with all his might to pull this, to get this wolf off of her, and it and it ignites into flames, and so they're engulfed in flames. Their astral bodies are engulfed in flames, and so are their bodies, 
in the lab. Both Danny and Xavier's bodies are engulfed in flames. Uh, at the same, at the same, uh, at the same uh, moment, and the fire basically engulfs everyone except for Warlock. So Doug and uh, and uh, Gabrielle Huller are both engulfed, and they both appear on the astral plane. So Xavier is able to get the wolf free from. Uh, Danny and uh, the other two appear on the astral plane as well. Uh, Gabriel Huller and Douglas Ramsey. Warlock is the only one left uh, in the natural world. So with the lab exploding in flames, and well, bodies in the lab, Warlock's freaking out, uh, worried about his friend Doug and, and everyone else. Uh, meanwhile, though, on the astral plane, Xavier has is holding Danny. She's, she's, you know, not dead. Uh, and, and that's important. And we're going to learn why, you know, through the dialogue shortly, but I'll tell you now, uh, if someone were to die in, in the boy's mind, in David's mind, they, they would cease to exist. They'd die. They would die physically as well. They would, they'd be lost for good. Um, so she's doing all right, but Things are getting chaotic. Uh, the wolf has been freed from her. Xavier's, you know, helping Danny. And this, the astral plane is just whipped into a frenzy. And uh, things are just, it's, it's the, the environment is just chaos. It's, it's like a maelstrom, uh, just, just completely um, unraveling and swirling around Xavier and Danny. Um, and in the in this this mess, this disaster, faces are beginning to appear, and that is, uh, he, he Xavier sees, um, uh, <clears throat> Doug Ramsey and Gabriel Holler's face. He's able to to corral them in a in a, a force bubble, a psychic force bubble of of his creation, and they are all ensnared. However, in this moment, inside. Uh, they're confronted with a giant wall. I, I believe it encircles them. And Xavier is, you know, he's he's taxed. He's His body is worn down. He has come back from the dead, essentially, and he's really struggling. This is taking a lot from him to, to continue to push on. Um, and he doesn't want to harm David. And and he's very much aware that this wall is very similar to the wall he confronted with Gabrielle Huller, and he helped her. And he and he's not wanting to harm David, but he also knows he's got to do something, because um, he you know he doesn't want to hurt hurt David, but he can't permit David to imprison Xavier and and the New Mutants and Gabrielle Huller. Like, he's got to save them. So he's going to have to force his way through the wall. In the meanwhile, as he's having this, uh, he's, he's boldly stating this uh, just to, the, to, the, to everything and everyone in, on the astral plane in hopes that David will hear him and, and maybe relent. Uh, Gabrielle is, is in this bubble, and she's talking about that this this seems so familiar how it it reminds her of dreams and and it brings her back to the moment when Xavier was helping her and he'd forced his way through her her mental defenses and it is just Xavier describes it like knives her thoughts are like uh, Gabrielle Huller's thoughts are like knives tearing into him but he cannot stop he's got to keep he can't focus on that. He can't allow that to, 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 you know, to overwhelm him because he's got to stay focused on the matter at hand because their lives depend on it. And as painful as it is for him, and he he does he 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 points out, uh, saying that David is extremely powerful. He's he's youth youthful power is just un just just completely um, 
you know, it's it's very ama- impressive for for Xavier. It's it's just raw power that has yet to be honed, right? But Xavier, he has skill and experience on his side, and and in and as he's saying this, his his arms morph, his astral form arms morph into these giant hands, and he just begins ripping at this brick wall that confronts him. Um, and and Doug in this force bubble, his astral form begins to try to wake Danny, and and she's like, "Hey, don't you know? You don't have to slap me around. Uh, just give me a second. I'm, I'm coming too." Um, and with this giant hole that Xavier's opened, we see uh, Xavier takes this moment to try to locate the others, Rain and and Moira and Corsi, Tom Corsi and Sharon Freelander. And he does. He finds them in... He, he, he can hear them. And so does Danny. And she she tells him that. And at, in, in... David has, in his mind, he has created a city. And Xavier's just shocked. He's overwhelmed by this. And he continues to fight David Huller. He keeps trying to break down this wall. And, and eventually, before him... A face of David, the face of a young, very young David Haller appears, and he, he, he's he's saying, "Mother, why are you hurting me? No more hurt, please. Make the baddies go away. Help me, save me, Father!" And as he screams, "Father!" flame erupts from his mouth and it engulfs Charles Xavier, pushing him back. And Xavier is shocked. This has thrown him off guard. He now knows the secret that Gabrielle Huller has been keeping him from her, from him, and that is that he is Gabe, David's father. And in this moment, he loses focus. He loses concentration, and the others plummet from his force bubble down into this that city that was below. And he reaches for them. He tries to save them. They all grab hands, but one by one. They slip from each other's grip, and they fall. First Doug Ramsey, then Gabriel Huller. He is able to to keep Daniel Moonstar with him. And and the wall encloses. The opening is closed. And he he's he needs to find a way to escape. He holds Danny in his arms, and he's got to find a way out. Um. And and he and he's thinking if he can get you know he it's fifty fifty at this point if if you know he he <clears throat> you know and so he he you know he he's very much aware that like as things go he's he's got to survive because he's the only one who can bring Danny back to her body uh, and. I mean, things are really bad. Things are really bad. With everybody on the astral plane, they can't necessarily get back to their bodies unless they are helped. And right now, with Danny unconscious, she's not going to be able to get back to her body for sure. Um, so he's in a he's in a big, bit of a mess. And in this moment, as he's trying to figure out what next to do, he's confronted by four, three giant faces... And one small, young David, youthful David Holler, like a little boy David Holler face. And one of the faces is that Arab that nobody has been able to understand. Nobody really knows what this Arab's doing. The other one is Cindy, uh, one of the personalities. And then Jack Wayne, another personality. We don't know any of their names at this point except for David Holler and, the, and that we know this Arab vision from the last issue and Xavier wants answers he demands to know who they are and Jack Wayne responds Uh, he says you got the education professor you tell us we are many so call us legion and as this is playing out David Haller just the small little head in the corner is saying, Mama, Papa, help me. 
He is just not in control. He has no control. What the art here suggests in the way David Haller is depicted is he has no control over what's going on. He is innocent and pure and doesn't know what to do next, doesn't know how to help himself. He is lost and trapped and scared. And Xavier decides with the pleading of David Haller, the pleading of his son, that he can't leave. He cannot take, he and Danny cannot leave. Even though he's risking everything, he's got to go. He's got to try to help his son. He's got to help the others. And that means he's got to go to that city. And so that's what he does. He enters the whirling uh, portal and, and hopes that he can help, help do something, anything to help his son. Meanwhile, back in the lab, Warlock, his alarm, his, his, you know, his kind of, uh, everything that's happened, right? The, the, the flame, uh, Gabriel and Doug f- bursting into flames. Warlock, you know, calling for his friend Doug, uh, has brought the attention of Jamie Madrox, uh, to, to the lab. And so Jamie's there now. And Warlock is just laying, um, kind of trying to, figure out what to do he's he's at a loss he doesn't know what to do he's terrified and he's he's worried he's he's trying to take care of his friends he doesn't you know he really has no clue as what's to going on you know what's going on and as he and jamie madrox try to make heads or tails of this situation david holler watches from the bed that he's been sleeping in. He watches as Jamie and Warlock panic in the lab, and his smile begins to form on his face. David Haller, this, this, this gleeful, hating eyes, eventually he returns to, to sleep. Um, and and the idea being through Claremont's narration that as this this whatever's controlling David, whatever personality has come to the fore, it is it is going to play with his new toys. That's the way Claremont uh, phrases it um, that he has brought into his mind, and no better way to do that than than in, than at, than while at sleep. Meanwhile, in David's mind, Xavier and his fellow mutants, their fantastic voyage has just begun as they find themselves in the cityscape that, that has been formed in David Haller's mind. And Xavier, he, he knows if he continues to push himself, he's becoming more fragile. He's feeling old. If he keeps pushing himself, he risks death. But everyone is counting on him. And if he doesn't push himself, everyone will die. So it's, it's this or nothing. He has no options left. The city he's confronted with is Paris and Beirut. It's a mix of these. It's a crazy mix of these two cities. It's memories from David's mind and most likely the young Arabs that we see running around in the astral form and, and will appear in the city. And it is decided... And, and in this city, this massive city, there's this giant black dome. It dominates the landscape. Domi- it's, it, it's just overwhelming, the, the landscape. Now, Xavier, when, when he fell into this city, he lost everyone. He's on his own. Uh, Danny, however, landed with Gabby and Doug, and they're together. And they're strafed by these weird, like, cartoonish, childish-designed fighter crafts, airplanes. Um, Meanwhile, Rain and, thankfully, Rain, in her transitional form, and Moira are together, and they're attacked by this giant robotic toy-like tank thing that's killing people left and right. And and uh, Moira's saved through Rain's agility. She grabs Moira, and they jump out of the way, and... Rain wants to, you know, she's horrified to see all these people being killed. And, and Moira's like, well, you know, 
I don't know what's happening to these people, but I don't think we need to worry about it. We need to focus on ourselves. We can't be distracted because I don't know what will happen if we die here, is what she tells her. So Charles, he, he uses his telepathy, obviously, and he's able to locate everyone. He knows everyone's okay. The only people he can't find, can't find there at all, are Tom Corsi and Sharon Freelander. So they need to plan. And Danny suggests that, you know, they can take care of themselves, that Xavier doesn't need to get, you know, that Danny can find, you know, Danny and her group can find Rain and and Moira, and they'll be all right. And that Xavier should spend his time focusing on either Sharon, Sharon and Tom. And once they're located, then the groups will merge together, and they can all figure out what to do about what's happening here. They can try to help David at that point. But... For Xavier, he'd be too distracted by the New Mutants and Gabriel Huller and Moira, and it's not going to be of any help. And Xavier doesn't like this idea, but he doesn't really have an option. And so that's what they decide to do. Um, and as he ends this conversation with Danny, this, psycho- this psychic conversation, this tele- telepathic conversation they're having, he notices the, a young Arab and... He calls to him, but the Arabs doesn't seem to pay him any mind. He just continues on his way. And Xavier notices this fighter, helicopter fighter jet, and it it comes towards him, and it starts firing. And Xavier thinks, well, maybe this is what the Arab was running for him, and maybe that's why he's not, he had paid me no heed. Um, And one of the shots... As it's firing at him, it strikes Xavier's shoulder. He falls to the ground, and he's thankfully not... uh, He's not, you know, he, he's holding his shoulder. He's he's trying to get himself, uh, his bearings, as this fighter thing flies away. And a giant retain- wall, this building begins to collapse on him. And it looks like he's done for. And all of a sudden, something, some force, some force from nowhere lifts it, you know, stops the falling material, and then pushes it away. And Xavier looks over and he's confronted by this young, virile, like, man. Um, kind of looks like almost like a Tom Selleck. He's got that bushy mustache and just wild hair. And it looks like this military, uh, like World War II or uh, some sort of military uh, garb. Uh, he's an adventurer and his, his name is Jack Wayne. And uh, he helps... He helps Xavier. He saves Xavier here. Uh, he introduces himself, and uh, that fighter craft comes back at them. And he uses some, his uh, uh, his um, telekinetic abilities to just take this fighter craft and throw it down to the ground, uh, disabling it, um, taking it out of the fight. And he tells the professor, you know, he helps Xavier, and they begin talking. He Xavier brings up the young Arab that he'd saw, and he want you know he's trying to get some answers here. Uh, <clears throat> and and now what ends up happening is Jack Wayne blames all of the problems here on the Arab, and he tells him that David is stuck in that big black globe that's that. Sphere, that black sphere, and the and that dominates the landscape. That's where David's stuck, and the Arab has put him in there. And we're trying to get there to help David. And so it is decided that they'll work together to 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 get to David. That's that's the plan. Um. So, currently, Xavier is running around with Jack Wayne. Elsewhere, Danny and her group are attacked by tanks and she tells everyone to duck they do um as they're taking cover this that young arab appears to this group and just just what we the readers need is another confirmation that this arab this this young arab is bad because gabriel huller's mother she is just enraged at the sight of him she wants you know nothing to do with him well doug and danny were willing to try to talk to him and great Doug can speak you know he's he's his mutant ability is to understand language for crying out loud so he's the perfect 
person to be here to try to talk, to communicate with this Arab. But Gabriel Heller will have none of it. She wants him gone, and she is just enraged. And they hold her back. They don't want her, you know, to go after him, you know. And and she explains that he's a terrorist as, as the Arab's running away. She says he's a terrorist, that, that he's the one who killed Gabriel, her friend, her dear friend, David's godfather, and would have and tried to kill uh killed David as well. Um, they're still under attack. And one thing that has seemed to become clear at this point is that, that the problems here, as asserted by Jack Wayne, and now seemingly confirmed by Gabriel Huller, are caused by this young Arab. Elsewhere, what... Pre- what seems to be like a local a market, like an Arab market or maybe a Pris- Pr- Parisian market, it's hard to tell. Some of the architecture uh, is weird, but we have um, people in people fleeing for their lives. Okay, they're just terrified, and and among the this crowd of people fleeing from these aircrafts that are just strafing the crowd uh, is is Moira and, and Rain, and they're fleeing for their lives. Now, some of these people are pushing children from the crowd into the fire to shield themselves, and Moira points that out. It's so disturbing to see parents sacrificing their children for their own sake. Um, and as, as, they find, as the planes fly off, uh, Moira... And Rain are confronted by another personality. This is Cindy from the from the one of the heads that Xavier had seen uh, before they came to the city. And Cindy is the pyronet, pyro, pyro, the pyrotic. The she controls the flame. And Moira is pleads with her to help them, to help them save David. And and she's not that excited about that because if David is restored to control of his body these other personalities will be will be won't have a, any say in what's going on and Moira points out that David's body's you know eventually he might this this chaos this is this is what's going to kill David and if he dies they die and they finally do come to an agreement uh it, it seems, and she is uh, Cindy. This this young, she's fairly young, and it's as low. Each of these scenes, right, is an area that is controlled by either by one of the person personas, and so Cindy does. It's a, agree to help Moira and, and Rain. Meanwhile, elsewhere, this giant Eiffel Tower-like structure, Danny. And and Doug and uh, Gabriel Huller have taken sanctuary. They've they've gone to the high ground. They're they're trying to escape this m- massive mob of of what appear to be soldiers, almost lo- like uh, Hun soldiers. They have those World War One German helmets, and and they look like soldiers, but they're made out of, uh, according to Doug, like barbed wire, and they're they're climbing up after them, and they're and they're throwing these. Uh, eye beams down on top of them to try to hold them off and they just kind of push it aside and keep coming and it looks as though they're going to be overrun by these 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 soldiers and they're not sure what to do and then all of a the sudden these soldiers burst into flames and sure enough Cindy and Moira and Rain have have come to the rescue of Danny and, and her group and the groups have united, and Danny and Rain are obviously overjoyed to see each other. They embrace in a hug, both having thought the other may have been killed, and they're just overjoyed in this moment. They're they're they they're just grateful that each other are safe. And the groups with this group united, they have to figure out what to do next. Meanwhile, with the group united, with with Danny and Doug and, and Rain and Moira and Gabrielle Huller with Cindy reunited. They begin to try to make heads and tails of this. And Danny desperately wants answers. Cindy's not really of any help. 
And so she's looking to Gab, Gabby, and she, she's accusatory of Gabby, saying, you know, if you would have just told the truth, if she would have just told Xavier everything instead of lying, instead of keeping stuff from him, they wouldn't be in this mess. And Danny squarely puts the blame on, on uh, Gabrielle Huller. And she fires back. She tells Danny to really back off. But she does admit that, like, and, and she tells the group what happened. That that they'd been, you know, that she wasn't with David and that her her friend uh, was with him and he was killed in an ambush and David had killed the attackers. And it, and in, as we find out this information, Moira tries to explain what's happened. And her explanation is that the Arab who apparently was the leader of the this group of that had ambushed David in Paris. Um, when David manifested his powers and defended himself, he's he's on par with his father. His his psychic abilities are are unmatched potentially, and and being so young and and having such a traumatic manifestation of his powers, the catalyst that manifested his powers. He had no control, and and when he lashed out with his his psychic abilities, his telepathic powers, he he killed his attackers and pulled the consciousness of the Arab leader into his mind. Um, and and Gabriel does not like this, but Moira has no other way to explain how the Arabs hear. And. Jack and elsewhere, Jack and, and Xavier are, are held up. They're safe. And they're, they're, they're held up and, and trying to figure out how they're going to save David. Jack is pushing Xavier to, to, to make an assault on, this, on the sphere, that the dome that David is held within, his psyche's held within. And he's, he's very insistent that the, the Arab has caused this chaos. He, it's the, when the Arabs showed up, he imprisoned David and that he and he, uh, that Jack Wayne has been doing everything in his power to free David of that. And, and Cindy has said this too. Cindy told the other group this too. And that, that in fact, Cindy claims that Jack and, and, and her had worked together at one point to try to free David and they were both chased off by the Arab. And the Arab has holding them back Ever since he's been defending the dome, and Jack is he's discussing this with Xavier. He hands Xavier a knife and he says, "You know, the only way we can stop this is by you killing the Arab. You have to kill him." And Xavier tells him, "No, he's that's not something he was willing to do. He's a teacher. He's a he's a healer. He's not prepared to kill someone." And Jack pushes him, saying, "You know, I I respect that. That's respectable, but." that Xavier's going to have to do this if he wants to save his son, that the Arab's the cause of the trouble. He has high ground, and he's going to stop at nothing to do harm. And if, if Xavier wants to save his son, he's going to have to do this. It's the only way. And he keeps just a long narration from Jack about why he has to do it. And, and Xavier takes the knife from Jack, and he says, let's go. Xavier's in. Xavier is going to kill the Arab. The next chapter is called Soul, probably, probably appropriately called Soul War. And this is the conclusion of the Legion arc. Um, I do want to momentarily touch on this, the depiction of, of really Dave, I mean David. Um, we have Again, like we talked about it last episode, it continues here. Uh, and I do enjoy the art in this book. I think it's beautiful. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I think as we we pull this book apart, I think it is warranted that we discuss, you know, its depiction of people with uh, handy. Uh, physical and mental handicaps um, and, and, and disabilities. Uh, and, and we talk, too, about, you know, 
people's the depiction of psychic uh, mental health issues and you know putting ourselves in the, a person's shoes that may have some mental health issues and you know do they see themselves in this or not and I think these are all fair questions uh, to ask and being that I'm not an expert um, I would like to after I conclude this story arc I would I think it would be a benefit to try to get some people that have some uh, insight to this um, into these areas better insight than I do um, more uh, a better understanding of those issues and and to talk um, to talk about it uh, whether they come on as an interview or a guest in a guest spot I, I just think it would be beneficial in in helping to distill and discuss a story arc so I I, I have had a few people reach out and uh, give me some positive feedback so I think that's where I'm going to start uh, but it, at this point, I think I'm just going to put an open invitation. Please, if you do have some insights into autism or mental health issues um, that you'd be willing to discuss um, potentially in, in an interview spot, I'd be more than happy to have you come on the show. And, and really, let, you know, let's just kind of pull this apart and, and see what, what we're dealing with and, and how, like, talk about the accuracy of the depictions in these books. Um, and, and that's by no means to try to, to slander or destroy the work here, but I think it is something um, that it is important. Uh, I think I can rave and rave and rave, and I do and I constantly about how much I enjoy Claremont's writing and how much I enjoy <clears throat> Zinkevich's art. And I think this story arc, for, for this to be the arc that, Zinke that Zinkevich is going to leave the New Mutants, I think this is an arc that, that's a great arc for him to go out on. Uh, I think his depiction of some of the astral plane stuff and his depiction of the mental landscape uh, is is wonderful. I think it's great. I think it's well done. Um, I, I enjoy the story that's being laid out here. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's like the Nova Roma stuff, right? Claremont depicts a woman in blackface, right? There's, there is uh, a Nova Roman woman, um, Amara, and she's in blackface hiding from uh, Nova Roman guards to save her life. But that's an insensitive thing to do. Uh, that doesn't mean that the story's not good, but that is a problematic spot in the book. Um, as I said last time, the autism and the way it's depicted in this book, it's problematic and incorrect. And, uh, you know, I just think those are things we need to highlight them when they appear so that, you know, to in, in fairness. And, and that hopefully as things go on and continue forward, we get better depictions of that. Uh, so anyways, yeah, that's where we're going to leave it off. Um, we, we will start next week's episode. We will dive into issue 28, the conclusion of the Legion saga, the League, Legion, uh, Legion uh, story arc, um, issue 28, Soul Wars. So uh, until then, uh, keep reading those comics. So quickly before we close, I did get a question from uh, a fellow New Mutants fan uh, named Nelson, and I'll play that now and we'll discuss it. Hey James, another great episode of the podcast. Always something I look forward to, um, especially as I get to revisit a lot of these stories that I haven't read in a few years. Uh, just a couple things I wanted to um, point out. Um, you know, having read Claremont and been such a fan of his for years, I always thought of his work as being pretty timeless, but after finishing this story, uh, and seeing the caricature of the pimp, I start to realize that maybe Claremont's writing um, does show its age uh, with some of these depictions. And finally, uh, really great to hear some of your personal insights of your experience. Um, really kind of brought the podcast to like a little bit more personal level. So keep up the great work. Um, always a pleasure, and I look forward to the next episode. 
So thanks for the the message, Nelson. Yeah, I I, I love Claremont as if as I say probably three or four times an episode. I I love his writing. I love him. Uh, totally, he's amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I would. Maybe have said that too. I don't know whether you know the timeless thing. You know, um, I can go back and read it, and certainly, you know, I'm 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 older, and uh, you know, you know, a five year old kid reading this, or that's a little young, but just you know, an eight year old kid reading this today uh, might struggle. Um, so yeah, some some of his depictions are gonna show some age, and you know, fast forward further down the road uh language changes and and definitions change uh, you know and we'll we'll see more and more of that i'm sure that being said there are going to be some characters that that certainly have characters uh are i think legion's a great example of that right we talk about his character and the depiction of autism and how that might not match what we know today. Um, and I can't go back and say for certain that that's the best they had then. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Uh, whether people knew uh, in general as well as they know today or maybe should know um, or maybe societal uh, expectations have shifted where where society in general expects that if you're going to write about something that is not your frame of reference, you should do your best to inform yourself. Uh, I think there's more of a call for that, you know, um, whether it's writing female characters, uh, you know, minority characters, just any any sort, uh, anywhere along the line. There's an expectation, I think, of certain segments maybe just the reading public in general but certainly there's groups of people that demand more and and i think that's good i think that's a a good thing that that we expect more from uh writers that 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 they should be uh should they should depict what they're writing with knowledge and um like if I'm honest, like I don't necessarily want a female character to be written b- like a man, but just as a woman. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. Like a woman should be there to be a a, 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 a something other than the the male the object for the man, man's desire or a trophy to be won or a damsel in distress. Like they should hold their own and they should have their own compelling stories. And they shouldn't be there just because the men need some female character to bounce off of, right? We don't, that's, I expect more than that. And I think that can be said across the board. So as far as his work, it may just be social changes, or maybe it's just that, yeah, his his writing's showing age. It's, it's hard to say. And is a social change, uh, it does that, that alone maybe dictates that the writing will eventually show age uh either way i i do agree there are some <laughs> there are definitely some spots where uh yeah uh depictions are a little off off color off beat um but yeah I, 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 other than that you know there are some problems like that i think i totally agree um but yeah i i i, I do i would say i've enjoyed this um rereading all these issues and and doing this podcast it's just been a blast for me i i enjoy taking the time to really try to be a little more critical of something i love that's uh that's hard it's really been hard for me but i i do enjoy it and um i i do i can't wait i can't wait to get into um the next arc I, I earlier in the episode i said this was uh zinkevich's last arc that's not true the next arc is uh and we're going to be wrapping up with some karma um a story arc with karma and and zinkevich is going to step out um and step away from the book unfortunately but uh he put it together an excellent run and there's going to be some great artists come in and and take take on uh take on things so uh yeah, uh, 
I can't wait to continue with this. And um, for anyone that isn't aware, Nelson is also an artist. Um, he is he is gonna be and I put to, I just conducted an interview this this last Sunday with Nelson and um, I'm I'm putting that together for an episode uh, here in the very near future. Uh, so look forward to that. Nelson's a great guy. If you haven't seen his artwork. Uh, Nelson Hernandez Art. You can find him on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, yeah, he's he's pretty pretty great guy, and his his artwork's fantastic. So uh, until next time, keep reading those comics. James explores the new mutants as is always recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explore the new mutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. You can Reach the podcast also the way, same way Nelson did by sending me a message via the Anchor Messenger service. It allows you to record about a minute-long segment that is then sent directly to me. I can put that directly into the episode and answer your questions, comments on air. It's a wonderful way for you listeners to become involved, and I highly recommend it. Thanks for listening, and I'll hit you up with the conclusion to this Legion saga. Until then... Hang tight.